0: What would you like the power to do?
1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Well, happy September, everybody. Welcome back to Everyone Talks to Liz. You guys ever hear the expression, when the going gets tough, the tough get going? Yes, of course you've heard that, right? Well, we're about to teach you the art of the pivot because, you know, during this pandemic, we've seen business owners pivot in the most innovative ways because they were forced to. This week's podcast guest has managed and mastered the art of the pivot, and he's about to tell you exactly how to do it. At fourteen, he was bagging ice for two dollars an hour at his father's New Jersey wine store. But once he discovered the internet, he ended up using it first to fire up his dad's profits. He took them from $3 million to $60 million annually, and then used it to create a media marketing giant that's responsible for, among other things, advising Planters Peanuts to kill off its longtime mascot, <laughs> Mr. Peanut. Oh my God, funeral and everything. He's behind multiple marketing moves that have garnered millions of views. So let's get going with the kid from Belarus, self-made serial entrepreneur and CEO of VaynerMedia, Gary
0: Vaynerchuk,
1: known as Gary V. Welcome to Everybody Talks to Liz, Gary.
0: Liz, it's such a pleasure. Thank you so much. I hope you and the fam are well, and um, thank you for the intro. I'm really glad to be here.
1: Oh, don't thank me, I'm mad. You killed off Mr. Peanut this year (laughs) and showed his funeral
0: in a Super Bowl commercial? What the hell? You know, listen, some things need a little bit of a boost and, you know, baby cell and baby nut was definitely, you know, well-received. Some people were absolutely mad, but, you know, we, we, we have an interesting creative strategy, which is we think the internet can give us the answers to finding right instead of having the audacity of the mad men era and thinking that we're right every time. And so, it was very clear to us with our day in and day at work that there was opportunity to revive that brand with something shocking or provocative and there was a lot of emotion in Mr. Peanut, but not a lot of relevance. People had really <laughs> forgotten. So we took, a, we took actually a huge gamble. You know, We ran the, the death of Mr. Peanut on social a week before the Super Bowl. Originally that was gonna be the Super Bowl spot, but we had this hunch that we could get everybody to care and get a, a big news cycle, and we did. And so that allowed us almost to get two bites at the apple. We got hundreds of millions of views the week leading up to the Super Bowl, and then boom, we have the funeral scene and the birth of Baby Nut at the Super Bowl spot. So it was a high risk, but it turned into a high reward because, you know, for us with marketing and anything, is what's the business results? And that business is up double digits, and that's good. Well, baby.
1: Nostalgia, mascots are work. Baby Yoda is absolutely huge. So I get it, you know? I mean, you're in this business, but... And before we get to how Gary V became Gary Vee, because it's an amazing story, were you able to find some correlation? Was Planters able to make some correlation between killing off Mr. Peanut and doing the whole social media push on the Super Bowl commercial with actual sales?
0: Oh, yeah, because what we did was, in the macro... We took the money that they used to spend year round on other kind of commercials and other kind of things, and they had a pretty steady understanding. And we had data. Obviously, there's certain things that can and can't share, but the business was very consistent, mm-hmm. consistently losing share, declining. And as soon as we activated that campaign in the macro, we were able to dramatically raise the business. And I think that's where the Super Bowl is extremely unique you're having a, basically a third of the country minimally watching this commercial. And and that's a big, big, big deal because you get a whole lot of awareness because other ads, whether on Instagram or Facebook or television or the newspaper, you know, for the most part, that's not must-see TV. Most people are not consuming it. They're trying to avoid it. The Super Bowl is the one place where people are actually trying to watch it. And I think that that has led to it actually being underpriced as a $7 million spot. And so, really? yeah, I think so. And so we, I think you gotta take big bets there. Um, you gotta really tell America what you're about or get them talking, which then leads to, I mean, people don't realize how marketing actually works. Talking about that the next day at work actually leads you to three months later at 7-Eleven grabbing a planter's peanuts over a pretzel snack. It's just, it's wild how communication actually works and you know i think that sometimes people play it too safe or too boring and so they waste the 7 million but there is no better chance to change your business overnight than super bowl well you know subliminal
1: seduction but the super bowl is not subliminal that just bashes you in the face and and it was certainly memorable it takes a lot of guts though to approach an iconic company with an iconic mascot and say it's time to kill it off but you been showing chutzpah since you were <laughs> this big, teeny tiny Gary V. Uh, tell me when you first sensed that you were,
0: uh, listen, hustler has a very yeah. bad connotation, but that you, you Scrappy. were moving. you were trying now, to do things. Now, now that hustler has gone from work ethic to not nice to your point i appreciate it. i've stopped using it and tend to say well now i was i was scrappy because there was no choice when you're born in the soviet union when you move to queens and you live in a studio apartment with seven family members when you when you come from that background you you don't have the luxury of it being easy or fluffy or or you, you know a lot of people are just entitled like you know like i just you know, I had to fight, like, you know, you know, when you have a mom, my mom is the greatest human of all time, but she was frugal because we came from nothing. So when I would say to her, I want a Nintendo game, she would say that's sensational, go figure it out. Mm -hmm. And that leads to lemonade stands and flipping baseball cards and washing cars and shoveling snow. And, you know, I, I sensed, you know, it's funny, when you're six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, and you're doing these things, you're so young, you don't even realize all you're really doing is living life. You're just mm-hmm. doing what feels natural. And for me, but when I got to high school and people started caring about popularity or doing well in school to get to college or, or sports, um, I was like, oh, I'm a businessman. Like the word entrepreneur hadn't really developed. You know, so right around, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth grade was when I'm like, I was getting such bad grades in school, because I really was a hardcore old school immigrant entrepreneur, and I wasn't a superstar athlete. I was getting my positive reinforcement from the business world, from you know, from doing a baseball card show and making a thousand dollars and the old men. At the tables when my mom would pick me up, would say, Hey, your kids really got something. You know, like so like I was getting my positive reinforcement from the business world. And so, and then, and then my dad at that point had lived the American dream and owned his own small liquor store in Springfield, New Jersey. And then I went from that to like at 12 and 13 to at 14, working every weekend and summer vacation in the liquor store. So I got really established in old world work ethic, you know, bagging ice for 12 hours a day for two bucks an hour, you know, I always tell my friends, I'm like, I'm your immigrant grandfather's life. I came over in the, you know, you're not, you know, when, when they're like trying to compare themselves to me or me to them, or I'm like, listen, you've got to understand, I'm living the life that is far more similar to your grandfather who came over in 1931 and, or left, you know, the Nazi invasions you know, I come from that part of the world and I'm that schmata, you know, self fruit stand, work 15 hours a day, like, you know, it's, it's, that's who I am. I'm a, a throwback and I'm also a throwback who ironically have old school values and execution but have done it in very new progressive ways. So I'm extremely progressive in my understanding of the internet and social media. And so I've had that really strong career over the last 20 years, but it's this funny mix of new and old world. How old were you when you started your first business and what was it? All the, like, I think my first business was a lemonade stand where I had four or five of them. And I like that's a big deal, like four or five lemonade stands and you're making signs, you're really building a business. But I would say the first real, 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 real business was my baseball card business. I was 11. By the time I was twelve, I was actually making you know three hundred, seven hundred, a thousand thirteen, like some real significant nineteen eighties money, especially from you know our, from our family's point of view. And so that was my first real real business. And then since then, I've really just been building. I built my dad's business for him for basically twenty years, and then I started my own business with my brother. Um, and that I've been that's it. I've been very family business, old school kind of living since then i'm
1: i'm gonna pretend you didn't say you had a chain of lemonade stands what <laughs> is going on wait a minute don't just go over that you can't just gloss over that you had five how are you running these things
0: robbie turnick marissa bird michael bronfman andy greco they would <laughs> stand behind them and i would sit on Tingley lane and Oak Tree Road in Edison, New Jersey, and I would look at cars. This is actually crazy. Actually, when I realized, I would tell this Lemonade story in my early speaking career about like my backstory because nobody really knew who I was when I first started speaking. And, And out of nowhere, one day, probably the 200th time I'm telling the story, I said, oh my God, I forgot what I was doing during that time. I was looking at cars, driving on streets, trying to figure out which tree or post was most likely gonna be looked at and that's where I would put my sign. And, and in this talk, and it's not a recorded talk, which really pisses me off because it'd be a great clip to show, it's literally the place where I recognized for the first time in my life that I had been following and paying attention to attention my whole life. That what I do today, right now, as I sit with you right now, Liz, what do I do for a living? I strategically understand where set, I do my best on 7.7 billion people, but I'm incredibly strong at 300 million for America. Where do the 300 million Americans actually pay attention to? Which app, which TV show, which song, which artist? what what owns the attention of america and how am i going to penetrate it and speak the things i care about or my passions or my clients now with VaynerMedia? media and and in that speech on that stage was when i realized my god i've been doing this my whole life i've been obsessed with where the attention is and then i would market communicate pontificate in those Places And my success would be predicated on how good I was at that. I'm only as strong as my latest observations. And I think that's kept me very tight and narrow because there's many things I have assumptions on, but I don't know. What I definitely do know is how to market and how to run businesses.
1: And businesses you did run, but you created them. You didn't just sweep in and say, here, let me run this for you. Uh, You created a business called Resi for restaurant uh, reservations that was bought, what, by American Express? You had Empathy Wines. Mm -hmm. Tell me where you got these ideas as you observed.
0: Resi was a huge victory, a hefty nine-figure exit that me and Ben Leventhal, my co-founder, invented on a dinner one night when I had just raised some capital from Steven Ross to start a fund. And he had just had a payout because his startup, he had equity in Eater and it was, or some, or yeah, I think it was Eater, or some sort of startup that got bought up. And we were, it was literally December 20th. It was like one of my last meals of the, before I went away for the holidays. And we said, we should do something together. And at that dinner, We said, you know, and he was so passionate about restaurants, especially in Manhattan. I I don't recall, and it was very joint. It's one of those really great, a, a dialogue, ping pong back and forth leads to an idea. It was, hey, we should start something that helps people, like Uber helps people on demand a car. Who would have ever thought a black car on demand? Well, getting a great seat at a restaurant it when you can't, mm-hmm. it, you know. Obviously, there was Open Table, which was an incredible platform, but Open Table didn't allow you to actually get a seat at the twenty-five to fifty places you wanted to, or at least not at the good time slots. True. And and so originally, Resi started as an idea. This is back to you know. It's funny you talked about pivots. Originally, it started off as a place where people could treat it like a first class flight on an airline and you could actually get a table at whatever restaurant you wanted. We realized that that model was a nice business, but it was obviously a top five to 10% finance person, right, mm-hmm. somebody who could afford it. And then we kind of, as we got deeper into business, realized that open table was old and not as strong as you know one might think. And we were able to pivot, uh, Ben and I and Mike Montero, our CTO co-founder, and were able to build a better platform a, a operating system for restaurants and it became a huge huge success empathy was easy i'd always dreamed as a 15 16 17 18 year old of owning my own winery at the time it was much more falcon crest you know <laughs> meaning i'll be old 80 and i'll buy some napa property but as you know i wrote the first check into birch box i was very early in bark box wow. and and, and very involved in direct-to-consumer brands and realized that there was no direct-to-consumer wine brand that was winning the magical $20 price point. And so VaynerMedia's great goal was to create talent, not only you know help clients, and I had two incredibly strong executives who'd been with me the whole 10 years, started as interns, John Troutman and Nate Schroeder. And then one night I said to them, let's start a business, let's start a wine business. And that was really it. We started a direct consumer wine business and a couple months ago, Constellation Brands bought it. And so it's, you know, yeah, I feel, you know, I'm 44 years old. I turned 45 in November of this 2020 year. And I, I'm so grateful. I was just in a meeting with one of the greatest proper football, soccer players in the world. And I said to him, I'm so, my whole childhood, I wished I was an athlete and now I'm so grateful I wasn't because your life's calling kind of wraps up and in your 30s, which is just insane. And with entrepreneurship, I'm 44 going on 45 and I feel like I'm maybe in the pre-dawn of my prime. You know, and that's exciting. You have a huge runway ahead of you and you can't even see the end of it. I, I, you know, with
1: all of these businesses that you've started, we've got an audience right now of many types of people, but everybody's been affected by COVID. Yes. And everybody's trying to pivot as best they can. I felt very fortunate because Fox helped me pivot. We They shut down the building and they helped me pivot by setting up a whole studio in my house with just three lights and a little live view camera, which enables me to broadcast to the world. But but for Fox, I, I don't know what I would have done. And there are a lot of people who are trying desperately to get going because the going is very tough. What must a business owner or a business founder need to do right now in order
0: to find his or her footing again if they've lost it? First, realizing you have no option. You know, one of the things that I think a lot about dwelling, complaining, crying about a situation is it's super appropriate. Like, you know, it is true that you at this point were living a life where COVID happened and you could have been 16 and enjoying not having to go to school for a year, or you could have been 98 and lived your life. But destiny had its plan and you are in the prime of your life or in the middle of your business or in a pivotal point or beginning of your business or career. And unfortunately, this is what happened. A, you have to be grateful that we're not talking about the abonic plague or half the world's gonna get wiped out. Or we're not talking about World War II. You might've also got drafted and had to go do D-Day. Like I think that you have to be grateful for what you do have and not just focus all the negative energy to what you don't. Number two, you've gotta realize that even if there is systematic issues, including all our social issues, including your boss, including government's ideas, and rules, you know, there's people living in Iran and Belarus right now, like that's challenging if you wanna be an entrepreneur, a lot more challenging than being through COVID in America. You've gotta realize that there is a time and a place to calibrate your loss, your challenge in front of you. There's nothing wrong with having a cry, even being in a down state for a couple of days, maybe even a couple of weeks. The issue is ultimately the world the universe isn't gonna cry for you. You know, you can only sit in dwell zone for so long. And so for me, I I, I push a lot of my friends, relatives, contemporaries, people I spend time with, to have a balance between gratitude and reality. You know, find something to be grateful for and deal with the truth, which is, you know, I mean, we're gonna have to get on our own two feet. I had
1: once heard a saying, life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning how to
0: dance in the rain. That's such a great, great statement. That's exactly what I believe, which is, you know, first I've, I have a bunch of uh, friends who are huge capitalists, huge capitalists, you know, entrepreneurs love all the sayings and now just keep wanting the government to give them checks. And I'm like, hey, bro, buddy, if you're such a big capitalist, have you realized what you're looking for is not that right now? Like, what, we need to figure it out. You know, if you can't do haircuts, start a different business. Like, To me, it's that mindset of moving forward, regardless of the circumstances, which is the tell of somebody who's a purebred entrepreneur versus somebody who likes the idea of being an entrepreneur. This is Everyone Talks
1: to Liz, and we'll be right back. you're known, I'll just say it, as a genius when it comes to utilizing social media. I believe you have, between Instagram and Twitter, more than 10 million followers, 3 million on TikTok, 3.5 million on Facebook. I'm sure these are numbers that are in flux and growing constantly, but across all your social media platforms, you and your team are are always putting out content, whether it's a meme or a video or or the Super Bowl ad, obviously, uh, or a TikTok video. Which content do you find grabs the most attention, sort of really pulls people away from so much that's out there right now?
0: Thinking about who's listening, I'm going to give an answer completely based on who's listening and the way this conversation's going. going. For everybody who's listening, who wants to do something about it, it's going to be the place where you're most comfortable. M- most people aren't blessed with the ability that Liz here is blessed with. They see the camera and they shy away. You know They feel self-conscious, they get concerned, they sweat. So the content that's gonna stop people the most is first and foremost, the one that you were most meant to use as a communication tool, aka some people who are listening right now should write articles on LinkedIn and Facebook. Others should do videos on Instagram and Facebook. Another crew should only do audio because they're great at talking, but they don't like the video aspect a whole different group should just take photos and write a couple captions. So I think any medium can work. We'll watch, we'll watch a four hour documentary, we'll watch a six second Vine, we'll read a 8,000 page book, we'll read a 13 sentence you know, article. It's, it's the m- person meeting the medium that was most meant for them who had something to say. Gary, uh, you
1: know, as we're on this topic um, of the future of social media, that TikTok took this world by a storm. Now, President Trump has put this September yes. 15th deadline, it's a week away on TikTok, being purchased by a US company. We don't know what's gonna happen here, but I know that my daughter and all of her friends, and she's not 12, she's 18, they love this so much so that I thought, What's it all about? I downloaded it and I find it brilliant and fascinating. You can weed out all the nonsense. You can have this for you page and the most interesting things. And they teach you hacks for your phone. I mean, it's
0: and it's so absorbable. If there was even such a word. It's, it's, what do you think happens to TikTok here? Well, I mean, look. Nobody knows. We're going to see if an American company buys it, and then will it be business as usual? I have no clue if the company has any legs to stand on to, you know, I think there's, listen, there's a very, as a boy from communism, let there be no confusion. There's a very big difference between democracy and communism. You know, the the president, you know, I'm just undereducated. I don't know if there's ways to take this quote unquote to the Supreme Court and everything in between. Mm-hmm. They may go that route, which may keep it on. It may go on then off. Who the heck knows? What I can tell you is this, whether it's TikTok under a Microsoft ownership, whether TikTok disappears and Triller or Dubsmash or some of these alternative TikTok clones or similar-ish platforms, there will always be another social network every two, four, seven, nine years. The same way on Cable's great 30, 40 year run, there'll always be a new cable network that gets hot, mm-hmm. you know, Bravo went from nothing to hot for a decade, right? You know, uh, HBO is hot, then it's cold, then exactly. then Sopranos and Sex and the City come, then it's hot again. Uh, Showtime was super cold and then Billions and Homeland, you know, so mm-hmm. I, I think you're gonna see a very similar dynamic with social networks. You know, what's interesting about Showtime because my sister Danielle klayman
1: Gilbert worked there, she's a she's an executive in Hollywood. They lured her from 20s. Well, it was 20th Century Fox back then. She was head of dramedy, and she said, "I'm going." And I said, "Showtime, aren't they just a yeah just a sieve for B movies and reruns?" Yeah. And she said, "They want to be the next HBO," and sure enough, they got yep. Weeds. These were this were sort of the early shows that she
0: worked on: Weeds and Dexter and. Oh my gosh! Oh, it was an incredible run, and 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 that. So from Friendster and MySpace to TikTok yeah. and Instagram, it's been proven to me that that will be the way it goes. Plus, every kid's generation doesn't want to go to the club, the hot club of their older siblings or their parents for damn sure. <laughs> and so you're going to continue to see this happen, and you know. And I'm I'm never emotional about it. If tomorrow every social network of my tens of millions of followers that you mentioned earlier disappeared off the face of the earth, I'd be happy because what I would realize is forget about my tens of millions, it's billions of people that use these platforms. And now every one of those people has to find a new place to go. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm very good at understanding those new places and how to communicate on them.
1: You mentioned growing up in a a Soviet bloc communist country. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about what's going on in Belarus. You know, you have the former Soviet bloc nation right now with huge protests against the longtime leader, Alexander Lukashenko. Against the longtime leader, Alexander Lukashenko who will not relinquish power, he's held for, what, 26 years. His political opponents have either been chased out of the country or abducted. This is horrific. Do you think social media can play a role in ousting him at some point?
0: Yes, but I also think that it has been very clear in the last 300 years of history that if you do not have outside intervention, yes, it's very hard for these dictators, because they're willing to kill everybody. like you know when somebody like you know if you look at the history of these things the ones that dig in the most and have the longest runs are basically in a place where they're willing to you know do whatever they need to do from a jailing and a killing standpoint to scare the collective in and normally not always but normally you'll have outside intervention over the modern you know era it's been the United States of America. But, but if you look at the green movement in Iran, mm-hmm. and if you look at what's going on under right now with Belarus, both Obama and Trump were passive in their actually going in and really, really trying to get involved. And so I view these things as less likely to happen when you have a passiveness from an America to get involved they and then times whether it's been Great Britain or 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 by the way, in reverse, China or some of or the former USSR when it got involved and whether it's Cuba or things of that nature. So I think you sometimes need a bigger brother. And my bet is that Putin will get involved before Trump will get involved, Mm -hmm. which makes me think that he has a chance of getting through to the other side, which is too bad because there is no confusion. That has been a dictatorship. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, you know, th- it, it could happen. You know, Nikolai Ceausescu was overthrown in yep. Romania. Lech Walesa showed real power to deal with what was going on in Poland, but I bought yes, that. But that was close.
0: during, that was during an era where we were feeling the effects of a post Reagan right. initiative that was awesome. very aggressive mm-hmm. in a first weakening the Soviets. You know, we, there was great fortune for the world. The world had an incredible era of prosperity and peace because the dominant conflict of the USSR and the USA had the right combination of presidents at the right time. You had a pushing Reagan and a far more passive, you know, Gorbachev who inherited a country that was, bur- I mean, I live in America my entire life because Russia was in, USSR, excuse me, was in such bad shape that they traded a couple hundred thousand Jews, me included, for wheat from America that Israel and America brokered. Because what people, listen, Gorbachev was very important, but he also inherited a country that was dying from within itself. Yes, He was practical he knew what the outcome would be and he had to do something or it was eating itself from the inside, which is what happens in communist regimes. You know, where China has a very different structure is they're a communist capitalist country. So if they're half pregnant on both sides, which enables them to be far different. You know what's funny about China? China actually runs its country very similar to the way that private business runs itself in America. Mm-hmm. It you know very good, well-run businesses in America allow their executives to do a whole lot. But ultimately, there is a CEO pretty much has carte blanche to do their thing as long as they board support. That's kind of what China is, which is like, you can do your stuff, but like, if we need to make a decision, we're gonna make it. And America has actually, ironically, become more of that over the last three presidents with executive orders. But up to that point, Mm -hmm. we're getting nothing done. Well- Gary, let's finish up with America. When it
1: comes to what we're seeing here in this country today, from coronavirus to this spike in unemployment and, and racial injustice, how do you remain optimistic?
0: For me, pretty easily, because the reality is, is that this is still America. Listen, America's going through a very difficult time. Unfortunately, everyone's dug in on this place where they think they're, I've never seen a collective 300 million people all decide they themselves are right about everything. And that's kind of where we're at. And then, you know, obviously given the political structure and just the way this country is built, you have two very competing sides, which, you know, have lost their way collectively in working with each other and have spread further and further apart and have created real contention. For me, the way I stay optimistic is I think that there's peaks and valleys. Life is never just easy and great. And I think history has made me optimistic. Not, you know, some uh, multiple times during COVID, people have said to me, it's never been this bad. And I go, you mean like the civil war? Like, you know, like I think we, we you know, I think people struggle, especially current Americans because we've had such global prosperity. Yes. We've, we, you know, 9-11 is devastating. The 2008 financial crisis is devastating. But when you put those two things into context of what this country has been about, basically from 1980 to 2020, that's a 40 year prosperity run that is very difficult to not understand why many Americans struggle with any adversity at all in any shape or form. This is a country that has currently a Republican regime in place that when COVID happens, Everybody just believes the government should print money and give it to them. Not even the not even the you know the fiscally responsible types are speaking up. I mean, let's call it what it is. George Bush and Donald Trump printed the biggest stimulus checks mm-hmm. of the last hundred years. And 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 I think that's because there is no true fiscally responsible conservative people want it for everybody but themselves. Mm-hmm. And they want to hold on to power. They want to remain responsible. Listen, so I understand. Honestly, I'm not on a judgment tour. I'm on a, what's the alternative? What am I going to just think it's doomsday? Like all these people, I've lived through my adult life where people told me if George Bush got reelected, they were moving to Canada. And then (laughs) eight years later, my friends on the other side said, if Obama gets reelected, they're moving to Canada. And now, you know, millions of people are saying they're moving out of this country if Trump gets reelected. And then what you realize is nobody ends up doing it. And and there's a reason for that because life is about alternatives. And, you know, look, I think we have many issues, but so do many other places in the world. And I also, I actually am a funny guy. I think we're getting to such a white heat negative moment that I do think the counteraction is us starting the process of love. I I think we're one very horrific, which is scary, moment away where everybody just takes a step back and says, ugh, like I I do think there'll be a moment where everyone, or by the way, instead of thinking of it as horrific, somebody's gonna give the right kind of speech at the right exact second from one side or the other or maybe a third entity altogether that just gets people back into the, because I think we're in momentum of separating right now. And I think there'll be some sort of movement that leads to momentum of us getting closer back together. And by the way, that may not, I'm not alluding to Biden winning. It might take, it might be Trump getting reelected or Biden winning like that. I would argue that we're still in the phase of that separating us more, not bringing us together. And then there just will be something. I believe that or, or this is the beginning of the end of a 300 year empire. And guess what, if that's true, people lived through the empires of Genghis Khan or the Roman Empire or the Greek, like, like other empires have fallen mm-hmm. and people move, change languages, change their last name, reinvent themselves, make up stories, sell everything. Like, I don't know, like starting from zero just doesn't scare me enough, Liz, for me to cry about it every day. Mm-hmm.
1: You know what? It's so true. And when you talk about splitting it between being realistic and being grateful, but also allowing yourself the pain of what everybody's going through, but limiting that and pivoting and waking up and moving forward, it is such an inspirational it's message. A persp-
0: it's a perspective choice. I, I'm i not delusional. There's people in pain. My Both my grandfathers spent one of my grandfather spent 10 years in jail for being Jewish. I'm not blind to racism, sexism, you know, religious persecution. It's just like at, at all of our individual levels, what are we going to do about it? What I've decided to do about it is when I see bad behavior, I will speak to it. I will also stay on the offense and try to bring opportunities to my family and others. And I think all of us can do that. And I think, I think we'll see, I think there's, I really genuinely think that there's some sunshine around the corner and you just got to eat a little crow to get there.
1: Oh, well let's, let's pull up a chair to the table. I'm ready for it. Thank Thank you. you, so thank you so much. much. Oh, our listeners are so lucky to hear from you. Gary Vaynerchuk of VaynerMedia, Gary V. You're a friend for life. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Liz. And for everybody out there listening, we're capitalists, okay? We're conscious <laughs> and conscientious capitalists. When you get that money or if you want to learn to grow it and invest, watch me Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Fox Business Network for The Claim and Countdown. Have a great day, a great week, and a great life. Life is good. Just make it that way.